So if you're like me on this uh, holiday weekend, you're, you're probably thinking about or, or maybe going back and reading or reflecting on the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And one of my favorite stories of Dr. King, we often picture him as this resolute leader, this steadfast and assured person. But one of my favorite stories is, is actually Dr. King being the opposite of that. On the evening of January 27, 1956, just after Rosa Parks had been arrested, he tells a story in his kitchen. And his kitchen looks something like this in Montgomery. He says, these are his words. He says, I was ready to give up with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me. And I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. In the state of exhaustion, and my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over my kitchen table and I prayed aloud. The words uh, I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. He says, I, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking at me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. He says, I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And then he says, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I'd never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice. Stand up for truth, and God will be by your side forever. He said, almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face everything. If, if that's all you hear this morning on this second Sunday of Epiphany, it, it, it is the good news that if you don't know what to do, you can at least know that you will have what you need, namely the presence of God with us. That's what Dr. King experienced in this epiphany moment. He became aware of God's strengthening and comforting presence. And it, it actually created a really important pivot in his ministry. This was uh, a vision in the kitchen and it equipped him to go up the mountain to proclaim God's justice and mercy in places of severe injustice and suffering. So I take great comfort in the fact that God shows up and continues to show up in places with coffee and in a kitchen, in places of exhaustion and fear and anxiety and emptiness. In those moments and in those places where the coffee goes cold and we have nothing left, God comes to us. It's in that spirit of epiphany God showing up and revealing God's self to the whole world, to the Magi, of course, to the shepherds in the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan amongst sinners, to a, a wedding feast at Cana, making wine where there wasn't enough and the party was dying down. God shows up, God shows out, and graces our ability to perceive and to receive. So we come to that 
we come with that mindset, that spirit of epiphany to our passage today that Gary read. I think there are three things that we should kind of of note about that encounter with Philip and with Nathaniel. First is is, uh, uh, God consciousness, right? From this passage and in this season, we're starting to get a sense of how strange and how radically God is working in real places. How salvation is coming about in places you'd maybe not expect and in ways you might not have an imagination big enough yet. And, and so in our passage uh, in John's gospel, it's at the end of John 1, it's after we were told the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, Jesus has left home with the Father in the Spirit to make his home with us. So often our biggest barrier to understanding and joining into this work is that we're turned off or tuned out to where God should be. So Jesus shows up and issues these invitations. The people meet Jesus on Jesus's terms, not even necessarily on their own terms. And, and if you're like me, this is sometimes a struggle. We, we want to dictate the terms that God comes to us. We, we want to meet Jesus maybe in a season that is not so busy or once we have our New Year schedules nailed down a little more or when the infant is sleep trained or when the semester's workload lets up. We want to meet Jesus sometimes in a place that is a little more appropriate than in between a school and a cheerleading gym or like when the church building is a little bit more complete and there's not so much dust. Sorry for people who are sensitive to dust. We treat Jesus sometimes like this out-of-town guest who hits us up and says, I'm going to be in town, and we like want to carefully curate a lunch spot because if we had Jesus into our lives, he'd see that there was like laundry strewn about and my kids tore up the kitchen, right? We, we, we don't want Jesus to see the toilet bowl rings or the, the toys and the books everywhere or the dust. But Jesus always has other plans. And Jesus had other plans when he came to Philip. Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, will come and go as he pleases and when he pleases. We might meet him when we're ready and in need, crying out, but most often Jesus will just surprise us. He'll come to us in the places and at the times that don't necessarily make sense. So we need to grow in our God consciousness. And the best way to do that is often not by working harder, but it's, it's by working less hard and by lifting our eyes up, by opening ourselves out. This is a, a, a lot of the, the story of Oak Church. It's why we sing songs like behold on this Sunday because we, we, we want to grow in our ability in this place to, to behold and to recognize and to grow conscious, ever more conscious of what God's doing in our midst. It's been, been really fun and eye-opening to encounter neighbors or new uh, shopping center neighbors and, and listen to stories and also the ways that they narrate being in this place. If, if you're not careful, you can only see the hurt. You can only see the lack. You can only see uh, the potential for danger. Um, 
or the other way, you can sometimes only bright side things. You can only see possibility. You can only kind of experience the best things and then dip out for the, the, the bad. But, but what, what God invites us into and what God promises presence with us for is, is both. It's both and. It's terrible and it's beautiful and it is all of the above in this place. And God will be with us here. So the, there, there is kind of an underlying assumption to our ministry in this place, and we hope to be here for a long time. That's why when you, if you came down the long haul, you saw the snail at the end. Snail signal is way better than bat signal, in my <laughs> opinion, right? But uh, we, we have kind of a mentality or an experience similar to Nathaniel's, that, that somehow Jesus doesn't belong here and God hasn't already been at work, but we're, we're slowly learning that, that quite the opposite is true. That, that the, the church can actually grow in strange or harsh environments. That the spirit won't, um, won't leave us, but will empower us and, and open doors for us and create these, these beautiful connections. We, we, we see we see how God is working if, if we have a consciousness and an awareness of it, if we open ourselves to that. Also in our story, we see something of a God invitation. On the way to Galilee, Jesus finds Philip, and he says to him, follow me. And we're told unsatisfyingly little about that whole interaction and how it went down. We just kind of assume that Philip's like, okay, cool. I wasn't doing anything. I had no plans. I will follow you, Jesus. All we know is that Philip not only answers the call and follows him, but also Philip joins in the finding. It's kind of a cool detail. Like shortly after Philip is found and invited, he finds and invites his buddy Nathaniel. And whereas Philip seems kind of like an easy convert, Nathaniel, let's just say he's a little more discerning, quote unquote. Maybe like... I imagine Nathaniel's almost like a Bible junkie type, you know? He's like very devout. He knows his stuff. He's not going to jump in too fast. He's not going to let someone put something by him. Well, it seems like Nathaniel was expecting something to happen and something to come. It had to be on his own terms as he understood them. And from his own place, he says, Nazareth, no way. Not in the cards, right? Couldn't be Nazareth. Maybe for Nathaniel, like, Nazareth is, like, the rival town over that, like, high school 10 miles down the road that you, like, hated to go play because their fans were going to yell at you or something. Uh, maybe someone from Nazareth is that type of person. Um, uh, or maybe that person from Nazareth is not that type of person not good enough or important enough or the God type of person that should come from the place where you expect good ideas to come from. For him, Nazareth was a non-starter. Maybe this has been some of our stories. At some point in our life with God, there's been something about God that has been a non-starter for you, right? Or maybe you know neighbors, maybe you have housemates. Uh, maybe that is a regular occurrence with you. And, and we see in this story, we see in Nathaniel's story, this line drawn that God crosses over and over in this invitation. God is going to do what God is going to do, and a Messiah is going to look like how a Messiah is going to look like. 
But these, these expectations are going to get subverted and uh, the, the steady, uh, the, kind of the, the steady theme here is that the invitations continue to go out. So Philip helps his friend along. He seems to have learned a little from Jesus just by offering this like straightforward intrigue technique. This is like Philip's Evangelism 101. He says, I don't really know how to answer your question about Nazareth. Not really need to defend Nazareth. Just come and see. Just come and see. Side note, I think that's kind of like a good evangelistic strategy. Just come and see. Because it's mostly built around finding and finding out and curiosity and seeing things in plain sight and inviting people to investigate and meet Jesus for themselves. That seems pretty doable for most of us, too. You don't know about Jesus? Come and see. It's not even that weird. It's not super difficult. It's not really coercive. It's just come and see. And so... This epiphany story invites us into this mindset and this habit of God invitation. We're being invited and we're also joining in the invitation. And last, there's a a God expectation. Jesus steps in and tells Nathaniel, skeptical Nathaniel, which that name means a gift from God, which is so, so great, embedded in all these stories are, are these, these subtle names that, that are interesting. And Jesus says, I saw you, Nathaniel. I actually, like, we're not strangers. I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you. Note fig trees, too. <laughs> and like Dr. King... Everything changes in that moment of being seen and being known by God, even prior to anything that you've done or anything you could do or anything you need to undo. Nathaniel went from a a narrow and maybe even borderline bigoted idea about who Jesus was and what he was about to like this laser focused confession that Jesus was surely fit to be his teacher, the son of God the king of Israel. This is a a seismic shift, an epiphany, like the light bulb going off. And it stems mostly from Jesus telling Nathanael that he was already seen and already known before he was even called. Makes me wonder what that would do to you and me if if we knew, if if we really knew that before Jesus even calls out to us, we're known and we're seen. Like, while Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, I, I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under a fig tree. Maybe eating figs. You know? while, while, while you were scrolling through your Instagram feed, waiting for the bus, Jesus saw you. While, while you were switching over a load of laundry, Jesus saw you. While you were returning the shopping cart to the rack, Jesus saw you. While you were hiding in your room because you didn't want anyone to see you crying, Jesus saw you. Or you were like tending to a temper tantrum in public and trying to minimize the fallout, Jesus saw you. 
while you were having the temp temper tantrum in public, and Jesus also saw you in a non-judgmental way, I, I assure you. While you were working through a season of just deep and indescribable disappointment and sorrow, Jesus saw you. When, when you were in a season that you, you didn't know what the next step was, or what the next job was, or what the next semester was, Jesus saw you. When all around you is, is death and despair and, and it is surprising or maybe it's not surprising enough, Jesus saw you. For me, I think if we knew that and, and continue to fill in those ellipses because I think it's inexhaustible, God's ability and Jesus' willingness to see us and be with us. If we understand that, I think it'd blow wide open the possibilities of our life with God. And it might just be completely different from how you grew up thinking life with God was just like a series of steps to fulfill and people to make happy. Maybe instead it is, it is this dynamic life with the Jesus who is, sticks closer to us than we could stick to him. And we're learning to walk in step. It means that God actually is with us everywhere. I think... Uh, I think what that means for, our, for how we conceive of place, like I, I think of the Wendell Berry quote, he says, there are no unsacred places, there are just sacred places and desecrated places. Like every place has a possibility to be holy ground. The psalmist adds, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in it, every place. There is no no man's land. Jesus is here. This is why Jesus upon this revelation with Nathaniel, starts talking about angels. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, Gary, like, started reading about, like, angels going up and down, and, like, what in the world? Seems really strange, kind of a non-sequitur, Jesus. But I think Jesus is making this connection to this Old Testament story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. A little sidebar refresher. Jacob, very important Bible character, leaves Beersheba and sets out for Haran. He spends the night, he uses a stone for a pillow. We've all had pillows like that, it's unfortunate. And when he slept, Jacob dreamt and he saw a stairway to heaven, zero, I, I was gonna put the uh, Wayne's World no stairway sign. <laughs> um, and at the top of the stairway to heaven, God is there speaking. God sees him and God speaks even in a dream. And God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth and spread out dust, right? Spread out from east to west, north, south. And every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. And I'm with you now. I will protect you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave until I've done everything I've promised to you. Jacob woke up. He thought to himself, <laughs> this is a great statement. The Lord was definitely in this place. And I didn't even know it. He was terrified. And he thought, this sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house. It's the, the entrance to heaven. So he got up and he took that stone that he had for a pillow and he made an altar and he called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. This, this place, this no man's land, uh, 
between somewhere, we don't even know where it was. It was between Beersheba and Haran, somewhere, nowhere, becomes Bethel, the house of God. There's a, a conversion also in the Jesus and Philip and Nathaniel story of this no man's land, Nazareth, becoming the house of God. Well, what, if, what if we had that sort of expectation? That, that, that even this place, even this place with like a lot of paint on the walls, still a lot of dust on the floor, still a lot of work to happen, and a lot of community life to be had here is a house of God. What, what if it, it is, it, what used to be a stone pillow could become an altar for an encounter, encounter with the living God? So we, we grow in the season together in this God expectation. So as we go out from here, I hope these thoughts kind of mess with you a little bit. Not just they would be more aware of how God seems to have this option for encounter with the least and the last and the lost and the littlest and those who are closest to death, but also these places that are seem, seemingly forgotten. Um, places where people are from or where they're pushed towards. And, and I, hope, I hope with a little bit more awareness of that, we'll, we'll become more conscious of God, that, that our God consciousness will be expanded, that we'll know that God sees us and finds us, that our God invitation will increase and our awareness of the ways that God continues to invite us even when we stiff arm invitations over and over. That is a, a, an invitation for curiosity. Come and see. And most of all, an, an expectation, a God expectation that, it, that, that will grow that this place, that all of these places could be a house of God. You all pray with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Thanks for going before us. Uh, thanks for... Uh, always preceding us, um, always seeing us and knowing us before we're aware of it, before we hear it, before we have a chance to respond. Thanks for the ways that when we ignore you, God, that you are persistent, that you are determined to invite us into your life of abundance, of mercy, of care, of grace. Continue to open us up to it. Open us up to you. Open us up to each other. Open us up to the many gifts that you uh, have supplied us. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.